Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. For you give and take away. You give and take away My heart will choose to say Lord, blessed be your name You give and take away You give and take away My heart will choose to say Lord, blessed be your name Blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Hey, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Willow Park Church, and, and we're so glad to have you here. There's hundreds of people watching us from all over the place, and, and uh, we just are thankful for that, and we welcome you here, and we, uh, we encourage you to join us here in worship and for this service. We're just so grateful. I'd like to uh, start with a word of Scripture here before we continue on. This is from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything that was made 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth. Thank you, God, for the blessing of your Son. Thank you for the grace and the things that we will sing about here, the things that we believe, the things that we know in our hearts are truth and light. And we give the rest of this worship service, Lord, to you. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating One, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ. 
believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of
Through it all, my eyes are on you. It is well with us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for everything you have done and everything you do. And we remember what you did for us on the cross. We remember on the night you were betrayed, you picked up the bread and you broke it. Bread not too unlike this. Passover bread. Unleavened, no yeast in it, ritually purified, just as there's no yeast in the bread, there was no sin in you, Jesus. Perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God. And the bread had come to symbolize the bondage in Egypt, the char marks and the the striations on it, the, the bruisings and the beatings and the lashes of the whip from the hands of the captors in Egypt and the piercings to make the bread cook more evenly and faster. And Jesus, you looked at the bread, and I, I'm sure you thought, this is, this is my body. This is going to be my body the way it will look in not too long. So he broke the bread and passed it to his disciples and said, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread and eat it and remember Jesus. And after they had eaten, he took the cup of wine.
It's a very special Passover supper, a very special meaning, and Jesus put a new meaning into it. He increased the meaning of it. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take it and drink. And whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So take it, drink the juice, the wine, in remembrance of what Jesus has sacrificed, his blood that washes us clean, the blood that takes away the sins of the world. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for coming to earth to dwell in the flesh among us and then to take all the sins of mankind throughout all time onto yourself, into the grave, the perfect sacrifice once and for all. And we can stand before the Father washed clean and pure without blemish because of your blood. Jesus, may we always remember that. And what's even greater than that is that you rose from the grave and conquered death. And now we have hope and life. And for that, we will truly be eternally grateful and in relationship with you as your children. Let's sing. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wraps himself in light And darkness tries to hide And trembles at his voice Trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great. How great is our God. Each to each he stands. Oh!
God, oh sing with me how great is our God, and always see how great, how great is our God, how great is our God, oh sing with me how My soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. God, you are great, you are good. Your mercies are new every day. Thank you for life itself, and thank you for being our light to guide our feet. Bless the rest of this service, and bless the rest of this day. Bless us all, Lord Jesus, and your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Enjoy the rest of the service. God bless you all. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us for Church Online. And here is your family news. We are so excited to announce that our in-person gatherings will be starting on Sunday, August 2nd in three of our locations, in Rutland, in the Mission, and in Lake Country. More details will be coming soon, but to learn more, visit our website at willowparkchurch.com dwell. We are now looking for volunteers to help with our dwell gatherings. We are looking for people who can help others find their seats, check in, and help with cleaning and sanitization. If you'd like to be involved, sign up at one of our two volunteer training events happening Sunday, July 19th and July 26th at both our Highway 33 and South locations. Sign up online at willowparkchurch.com training. We are having two awesome kids camps online this summer, July 20th to 24th and August 17th to 21st. You can choose to do kids camp as a family or you can sign up as a camp host and invite some friends to do camp with you. Registration is now open at willowparkchurch.com slash kidscamp. Join us after church today for a live Zoom chat with one of our pastors. Simply go on our website and find the links to join. We can't wait to see you all there. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Hey, Willow Park Church, it's so good to be with you this morning. My name's Glenn, and I'm one of the pastors at Willow Park Church, and it's my joy to spend some time with you. Hopefully, you've enjoyed Curtis and the team leading us in worship and communion. And so now we kind of step into some teaching, and and as we said last week, we're now live. This is actually happening on Sunday morning 
rather than recording. And, uh, and it's so good to know that so many of you are watching, but also that so many watch later on in the week. So if you're watching this at another time or another place around the world, we're so glad that you decided to join us this morning. Uh, there's a few people in the room with me, and it's, so I've got a little mini congregation and, uh, and, and you guys as well. It's just such a, such a blessing. A few people who are online with us right now. Uh, we have Jan. Hi, Jan. It's good to, uh, good to have you. Bonnie, G, Viv, Led, Anna, Celia, uh, Courtney, Allison, and Zolt, Norm, uh, Charlene, Al, Betty, Eddie, and Donna, Elaine, Shelley, Donelda. Uh, they're all on Facebook, and it uh, sounds like some ropey 80s boy band. But it's, uh, it's good to have you all, and uh, we're just, it's just a joy to be able to share the word with you this morning. So I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 5 and pick up from where we left off last week. And hopefully, if you uh, haven't yet seen the message from last week, you can find that on our website, and, uh, and you can catch up a little bit. So let's just, uh, let's just close our eyes. Let's quiet ourselves, even if you're in your front room or wherever you're watching. Let's just quiet ourselves before the Lord. And just pray. Dear Lord, we're, uh, we're grateful that even through this medium of technology, that God, that we can expect to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that my words will be honoring to you, that Lord, it would draw people to you. The Holy Spirit, you'd speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, teach us, Lord. And, uh, and we just ask your guidance in, in all that's going to happen over the next few minutes. And Lord, I pray you would fill every room every place that this is being watched with your presence now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can grab your Bibles or your apps and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Just by way of review from last week, uh, Matthew chapter 5 is this amazing sermon called the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave uh, to, if you actually read at the beginning of chapter 5, we saw that not only is he speaking to his disciples, but there's crowds of people there, and they're a diverse crowd. They're as diverse as our culture is today. You've got progressives, you've got the hyper-religious, you've got the conservatives, you've got the liberals, you've got all sorts, you've got people who are kind of the blue-collar workers, you've got people experiencing homelessness, you've got a wide range of people listening into the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus goes into the Beatitudes at the beginning of the chapter, and then he steps into, this is, the Beatitudes are the type of people, the followers of Christ are, and then he says, here are the expectations on you, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. He says that, uh, that, the, that as you are these things, these beatitudes, as you show the fruit of the Spirit, we take that into the world and we should be salt. And I asked the question, and I hope you spent some time this week thinking it through and reflecting on it, what is it you are becoming? What is it that you are focusing on and what is it that we, we place our lives on? Because what we are becoming is what we actually take into the world. And as a Christian, our hope is that we'll take love and joy and peace and patience and all those good things into the world. Uh, but that is kind of dictated to by, by what we are becoming. Because what we're becoming needs to be obviously different. You see, Jesus calls us to be obviously different just like he was obviously different. And, uh, and the challenge is, is we have to humbly ask ourselves and examine ourselves before the Lord is whether or not we are obviously different. Whether we're showing the fruit 
of the Spirit. Because Jesus goes on in Matthew to say, because look, you are the salt of the earth, but you're also the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So he says, you're the salt of the earth, but you're also the light of the world. And so we should be obviously different to such an extent that we're actually lights as we go out into the world. So this, this question then has to come up. And this is what I want to look at today. It's really two questions. Is, is what well, what does this light look like? What does this salt look like? And then how do we actually become the type of salt and light that Jesus has called us to be? Uh, and we're going to get very, very practical. We're going to ask ourselves some questions. We're going to look at what Jesus says. But what does this life, this light look like is the first question. Well, we can find an answer in Galatians 5, 22, 23. And I quoted this a lot last week that if you want to be light, if you want to be salt, if you want to be obviously different, then we should be becoming more like the fruit of the Spirit that Paul describes in Galatians. So that's more loving, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Our world desperately wants this, desperately needs this. It's searching after it. Our culture in Kelowna, is looking for more love, more joy, more peace and patience. We're wired to be like this. And I said this last week, to be human is to be more like Jesus because Jesus shows this fruit. He shows these things in his life and then he calls us to be the same. Yesterday, we, uh, our, my family and I, we sat around the table and we had a family meeting and we've been reflecting a lot of the last few weeks as to what, what does it look like for us as a family to be more like Jesus, to actually live the type of life that Jesus is calling us to live? How do we as a family show more love and joy and peace and patience and all these wonderful things? And I use this analogy with them, and, and it really works well. It, it lands well. All analogies about God kind of fail at some point because of our limited human understanding of God and our limited understanding of analogies. But uh, this, is, this is a good analogy. Imagine, and I've got this beautiful, uh, this is a lot like the train that I used to travel to school on, university on every day. Uh, actually, that's not true at all. Some of them are really old, but this is just a beautiful train. It looks a lot, it looks very British and, and it's great. But you've got these train tracks and it's, it's almost like we have been created, like this train, we've been designed to run on these tracks. You see, you take a train off track and put it onto the undergrowth somewhere, it's not going to go anywhere at all without a great deal of effort without some outside mechanism to help it move. It's just not designed to run freely as it would on tracks. Now, these tracks can take you in a myriad of different places. They can go uphill, downhill, through countryside, through cities, lots of different experiences, if you like. But these tracks were designed to take us places. And the train, if you like, we are the train. We're designed to track in life in a certain way. 
If you want to know what the train tracks look like, then we can go back to, oh, look, that appeared on top of that. That's kind of cool. Didn't know it would do that. Um, so, but the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are like the tracks. I think, Drew, you might have to figure something out for me here. <laughs> but it's just like south on Sunday mornings. There you go. See, Drew to the rescue. Uh, everybody give a shout out to Drew. Uh, on the chat. Drew, you're brilliant. So this is the train tracks. This is what we've been designed to run on. But we get off track and we find ourselves way off track sometimes, desperately trying to show these different things, but unable because we're not actually following the way, the life that Jesus has called us to follow. Because the only way that this love and joy and peace and patience happens is by actually following the, the practices, the life that Jesus has laid out for us. And so we might want the track. Our culture wants the track. These tracks are, are what we long to be on. We really desperately desire to have these things in our lives. We desire to have our destructive habits replaced by positive life-giving habits. We really want that. As a Christian, we, we want to we overcome our tendency to manipulate other people to get what we want. We know it's wrong, and, and we know that we're off track when we're doing it. We, we want to be free from anger and, and bitterness. We want freedom from boasting and arrogance and narcissism and being critical those things are off track for us as Christians. We know that it's not bringing light. We know it is not salt. We know it's not Jesus-like. And friends, listen, you, you might be sat there going, I know I'm a long way off track this morning. Well, it's good news. We can get back on track. We can get back to where God has called us and designed us to be. We want fulfillment from serving other people. That's on track. We want courage to forgive. We want to live in peace, all these things are where we're designed to be, but we get off track. So I have some good news. There are people who learn to live in such a way where they actually show the fruit of the Spirit every day. It is their natural tendency because they are so filled and so focused on living like Jesus that this naturally comes out of their life. And you don't have to live in a cave or be, in a, or be a hermit to experience these things, you can experience the fruit of the Spirit, being on track, being like Jesus in whatever circumstance you've been called to be in. Whether you're working or whether you're not working, whether you're at home looking after kids or whether you are, you know, whether you're by yourself just living the single life, whatever you might be, wherever you are in your socioeconomic status, whatever is happening in your life right now, you can have these fruit. This becoming like Jesus happening in your life. You can be on track. For us to know what Jesus says about how we do this though, we need to reflect on what our culture says. Our culture recognizes that these things are good things. In fact, ironically, our culture yells very loudly about the need for more love and more peace and more patience and more kindness. It, It demands it from us but really doesn't equip us in how we get these things in our lives. Our culture's answer is to try harder, be better, um, push yourself, set goals, go after it, 
be the better person that you know that you should be. You, you just, you go ahead and do it. It's in your hands. That's our culture's answer. And, uh, and then you get these kind of pithy, uh, oh, back to the train, dream bigger, do bigger. These kind of motivational statements that the internet just seems to be filled with. Dream bigger, do bigger. When I saw this, I thought, actually, that's wrong. It should be dream bigger, do bigger, get grammar, because that is a terrible sentence. Anyway, dream bigger, do bigger. It's all in your hands. Be more loving. Be more joyful. Be more peaceful. Be more kind. You just get on with it. The problem with that is it just doesn't work. Because... We, we have this kind of determination, this self-will, but at some point it fails because, because ironically we start focusing on ourselves more and the more we focus on ourselves, actually we become less peaceful and less joyful and less loving. As I was looking at some of these uh, statements online, I came across this one. This one made me laugh. Potential. Not everyone gets to be an astronaut when they grow up. These are the demotivational posters. I like these better than the motivational posters because they just make me laugh. But, but that was just as an aside. I got distracted for a few minutes when I was prepping my sermon. The, the problem with these motivational statements that focus on you is they're going to fail. And, and at very best, if we actually achieve some of the things that Jesus has called us to be, love, joy, peace, patience, if we achieve them in our own strength, then we get filled with pride and we become self-righteous and then we become judgmental because other people should be more like me. And it's just the wrong way to go. The first thing that we need to do is we need to, we need to actually come to Jesus. That's the, that's the start. That's the answer to become more like Jesus. How do we get back on track? We need to first of all come to Jesus. And he gives us an open invite. Remember he was talking to crowds, not just his disciples. And he was saying, look, you can come and live like me. You can have what I'm offering. You can have the very things that you were designed to be and want. You can have this love and joy and peace and patience. And you can go into the world and be different and obviously different. You can get back on track. And it starts with us humbly coming to Jesus and asking for forgiveness, humbly confessing that we're trying to do things in our own strength and we need him. That's where it starts. Because doing things in our own strength is actually exhausting. In Romans 12.1, it talks about presenting ourselves as living sacrifices to God. That we actually position ourselves before the creator of the universe. We position ourselves before him. We offer our lives to him. We recognize him as the designer, the creator, the one that knows you intimately, knows your struggles knows your fears, knows your guilt, knows your desires, knows the things that you dream about. He knows you intimately. That God, the one that we call Jesus, we come to him and in Romans 12, one says, present ourselves as living sacrifices. We go, God, I want to position my life before you because you are worthy of that. That's the first thing, that it's not about me getting more stuff. It's about us recognizing that God is powerful and loving and merciful and kind and worthy of our love. 
And our sacrifice to him is the least that we can do in comparison to the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. So as we present ourselves to him, we position ourselves to become more like him. So let's go back to the question. If Jesus has called us to be salt and light, he's actually asking us to become more like him. Obviously different. How do we do that? Well, the world says, do harder, be better. Jesus says, no, come to me, present yourself to me, and follow me. That's how you show these things to a broken world. That's how you experience the track that I have placed you on. That's how you do it. Not by you doing anything, but by recognizing that Jesus has done everything. And positioning ourselves in a way that says, God, you're better at this. I need you. And here's the wonderful thing. As we do some of these things that Jesus is calling us to do, it's not those things that make us more loving to God. God already loves us. But it actually, it actually kind of connects us with God in such a way where change and transformation happens. So if you're struggling with anger, then peace can come. If you're struggling with sorrow, then joy can come. If you're being frustrated, then, then joy and peace and love can come. Kindness can come as we position ourselves before him and do some of the things he's called us to do. But here's the challenge for us. Notice I've been saying there's things we need to do. There's also things that we need to not do in order to position ourselves well before God so that he changes us. But frankly, we're just unwilling to do those things. We feel like the things are too important to let go of. Or the things are too important to not chase after. And as one of my favorite authors said this, he said, The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and condition we want to enjoy. We know what we want to be, but we're unwilling to do what we need to do in order to get there. We're unwilling to position ourselves sometimes. And he goes on to say, we intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it reality. So we have a goal, we have a dream, we have what we know is the track that we should be living, but we're unwilling to move from where we are onto the tracks and position ourselves. We're unwilling to do it. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that make it reality. So Jesus says this, come follow me. Become a disciple of mine. Literally apprentice with me. Become a student. Do what I do. Say what I say. Follow the ways that I have told you to follow. And you will become like me. But there's a key thing here. In order to be like Jesus, we need to do the things that Jesus did. So, so here's, here's a good analogy. One of my, uh, well, he used to be one of my favorite soccer players as Ronaldo. I put him into the Manchester United kit because he used to play for Manchester United. He plays for Juventus now. He's at Real Madrid for a long time. A phenomenal, phenomenal football player. Just clearly one of the best that really has ever played, even you know, comparing to Pele and Georgie Best and all these great players. And we could argue, and I'd be happy to do it, we could argue for a long time whether that's true, whether Messi is better. Regardless, this guy is a phenomenal football player. And your desire could be 
to play football like Ronaldo. This guy right now, what you can see is he's placing himself before a free kick. And this is classic Ronaldo. This is how he stands. He'll stand with his feet apart. He'll breathe like that and he focuses. And then he drifts this ball at power over a wall into the top corner of the goal. And you can be like, I want to be like Ronaldo. I want to I play football like him. And then you know what? That's a great goal. In fact, here's another image of him. This is him scoring a, a header against a, uh, a team. And his height here was really unearthly. He actually, uh, apparently, average NBA players get to about 71 centimeters off the ground. Uh, you can Google it. We spent a lot of time, my son and I, checking this out. He is at 71 centimeters here off the ground. He is the equivalent of an NBA player. Bearing in mind, he's six foot two. An NBA player average is six foot seven. He is a phenomenal athlete. You're like, I want to jump like him. So here's what you do. You go out, you buy yourself a Juventus kit. You get yourself a Ronaldo haircut. You stand like Ronaldo, you present yourself to a free kick, and you breathe just like Ronaldo, you speak like Ronaldo, you, you, you try and be Ronaldo, and then you go out and you try and kick a ball, and it just doesn't work. Because there's a key element missing. In order to be like Ronaldo, you have to live like Ronaldo. You have to be on his diet, on his exercise regime, his commitment, his discipline, his focus, his dream, his desire, and then time. A long, long time. And maybe with the right skill and the right genetics and everything else all thrown in the mix, you will become like, you might be able to place a ball like Ronaldo given enough time. But standing just wearing the kit and breathing like him isn't going to produce the results. Why do I share all this? We need to live like Jesus to become like Jesus. Simple as that. We might want to be on track. We might want to be loving and joyful and peaceful and kind and gentle and good and all these wonderful things. We want that. And we know you might go out and buy a good Bible. You might come to church every weekend. You might watch church online every weekend. You might do some of the things that Jesus instructed us to do and yet still be off track because the difference is, is that often we are unwilling to live like Jesus lived. To become like Jesus means to live like Jesus and the, 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 the gospels are filled with examples of how Jesus lived. His habits, the things he said, the things he did, the things he wouldn't do, the things he focused on. The whole Bible talks about how we as Christians should actually live. Our lifestyles need to align with the way Jesus taught us. And then we will become like him. But what we want to do is we want to become like him without living like him. We want to live like we want to live. We want to go where we want to go. We want to speak in the way we want to speak. We want to watch what we want to watch. We want to date who we want to date. We want to chase after what we want to chase after. We want to fill our lives with the habits and practices that we think will satisfy us. And then still hope we will show love and joy and peace and and gentleness and goodness and all those good things to a hurting and broken world. We still want to be salt and light. And yet we're missing it. It's the equivalent of breathing well in front of a football, hoping it'll go into the top corner in the final of the Champions League. It's crazy. The Bible is filled, filled 
with examples. History is filled with examples of men and women and young people who dedicate themselves to living like Jesus. And then, as the promise is fulfilled, you will become like Jesus. So we need to live like Jesus to become like Jesus. So then the next question is, what did Jesus do? What do you see all through the Gospels? What are the repeated practices that Jesus does that we can follow? Here's just a quick list. You'll see Jesus uh, dedicating himself to silence and prayer and solitude, to fasting, to studying the scriptures. He knew the scriptures well, living a sacrificially simple life, studying the Bible, meditating, having a Sabbath. I have been so convicted recently about Sabbath. My whole family has. This Sabbath, not just a day off, but literally having a Sabbath, a day where we focus on rest and worship. So this is one of the practices as a family around our kitchen table last night, we're talking about train tracks, that we're actually going to start. We're going to have a Sabbath and it's going to start at dinner time on Friday, not because we think that's a particularly special time that just works for us and we're going to do it all through Saturday and we're going to switch phones off. You text me on a Friday or on a Saturday, I probably won't get back to you until Sunday because one of the things that I've identified that pulls me off track is looking at my phone too much. See, that simple practice draws me closer to Jesus because that's a practice that Jesus did. One of the most neglected practices in our world is the idea of silence and solitude. This is a godly thing. These practices that I want to teach more about over the next few months, this silence and solitude, Jesus withdrew into silence on a regular basis. Here's just a few examples. He spent 40 days in the desert, the wilderness, the quiet place, um, just after he started his ministry, after being baptized. Uh, before he chose the 12, he spent all night in the desert praying. Uh, just after John the Baptist's death, he withdrew to a lonely place to pray. After the feeding of the 5,000. There was thousands of people chasing after him. Literally, he went into the hills by himself after healing the leper. He withdrew into the wilderness. The list goes on. And I've been convicted about that as well. Is my life so filled with external noise and internal noise that I actually don't hear the voice of God as clearly as I should and as clearly as I could? Do I withdraw from my world sometimes. It doesn't mean that I have to go and spend 40 days in a wilderness. It could be that I grab five minutes. You know, maybe I don't put the radio on in the car. Maybe, maybe I just spend a few minutes before I go to sleep at night just quieting myself and, and just focusing and thinking about Jesus. There's nothing new agey or Eastern religion about doing that. It's godly. It's biblical. Jesus did it. To withdraw, to find silence. And then that silence leading to, me- to meditating on scripture. Filling our mind with God's thoughts. Because our thoughts really dictate our life. To be still and know that he is God. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you switched off your phone and spent time in silence? Just you and your thoughts. Maybe opening the Bible and reading through a psalm, quietly listening to what God might want to say to you, thinking about the cross, thinking about Jesus' sacrifice for you, thanking him for it. When was the last time you went for a walk and didn't plug in and just listened to the sound of nature because the Bible says that creation shouts out the glory of God. 
When was the last time you took time to withdraw and just think? You might go, Glenn, I've got a three and a five and a seven-year-old. Are you mad? You can find time. They sleep sometimes. You can find time, even if it's just a few minutes, to meditate on the scriptures. Because our thoughts and habits dictate who we become. Who are you becoming? What is your life filled with? What do you think about? Where do your thoughts come from? My daughter and I have been reading through some Paul Tripp stuff. And, and uh, one of the things he talks about a lot is this inner conversation. He says, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. What do you regularly tell yourself about yourself, God, and your circumstances? Do your words uh, to yourself encourage faith, hope, and courage? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts dictated by? Is it your environment, your culture? Or are you filling your mind and your thoughts with scripture and meditating on him? I like this quote as well from Seth Godin. If you had a manager that talked to you the way you talked to you, you'd quit. Maybe some of you think that, man, I just want to quit. <laughs> what are your thoughts dictated by? Are they dictated by meditating on scripture? Doesn't this sound good? This is getting back on track. This is the way life should be lived. You know, what does God say about you? Well, we go full circle. You are the light of the world. God thinks highly about you. Not in the conceited way that the world thinks highly of itself, but God thinks highly of you. I want you to let that sink in for a second. You are the light of the world. He has extreme confidence in you. Why? Because my failure in my Ronaldo analogy is this, genetics and gifting. You can practice as much as Ronaldo, but if you haven't got the right genetics and gifting, I would argue that that maybe you're not going to be a Ronaldo. But here's the beautiful thing about being a Christian. You've been changed. Christian friend, you are changed. When you come to Jesus, you are transformed. The Spirit of God floods into your life and you become like him. So why does God say this, that you are the light of the world? It's because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That you will be the light because I am the light, Jesus said. And as you walk in the light, you will take that light into a dark, dark world. You are already filled with the presence of God. That's the track that you should be on. That's what God thinks about you. That's what his thoughts are. And as we withdraw and silence and solitude and meditate on this, you'll find that you'll start thinking about you in the same way that God thinks about you. And you'll get back on track. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's what Peter says. You've been given everything you need. You've been given the tracks to go on. Now follow after me, Jesus says. Walk in the light. And then something powerful happens. All these things that we want in our life suddenly start to emerge they start to happen. They start coming out of you. In fact, it's, it's almost like it becomes an effort not to be like Jesus. You don't have to get up in the morning and go, right, I'm going to be more loving today. Here we go. And then by the time you get to the bottom of the stairs, it's all gone because you tripped over the dog and you're like, oh, that's not going to happen. 
that suddenly these beautiful things will emerge from you as you live like him, as you focus on him, as you think about him more, as you put some of these practices into place, as you position yourself before him. Please don't expect that these things are going to emerge from your own effort. They won't. You see, becoming like Jesus is not something to be acquired. You already have the ability and the gifting, Christian friend. It's realized It's something you step into. It's something that emerges out of you increasingly. And just like Ronaldo, over time, these things will emerge. And they're beautiful things. So, as I come to an end, I want to give you you a little bit of some homework. Here's what I want you to do this week is I want you to switch off today. Let's do it today. Let's set the standard for today. I want you to spend some time today switching off your phone, going to find a place in silence. Maybe it's a walk or a favorite spot you like to sit at. Maybe it's just the corner of your house. Maybe if you've got kids, it's, the, it's in your garage, whatever it might be. Just go to that place. And I want you to read through Psalm 139. And at the end of each verse, I want you to pause and just pray. Just pray. And then read the next verse. And pray. Then read the next verse and pray. And spend half an hour with no phone, no interruptions. Just you, Psalm 139, and the beautiful presence of God. And then tomorrow, I want you to do exactly the same. Half an hour. That's all. And I want to I promise you, you'll find that the tracks will start appearing and those good things will start emerging. That's the way God intended us for us to live. So all I can do is make suggestion. And, and all the Holy Spirit can do is nudge you. Over to you. You spend the time. You see what God has to say to you. Maybe you want to journal. Maybe you want to just think. Maybe you just want to, maybe it'll just prompt you to go really quiet and realize, wow, my life is really noisy. Maybe he'll show you some things that you need to change. Maybe there'll be things that, He'll highlight to you that you've been pressing down. Maybe the internal noise will start quietening down. And then, just like the promise of Jesus, as a blessing, I say this over to you. Let your light shine before others. Let his light that is in you shine before others so that they may see your good works. And then what will happen? They will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Not you, but to the Father to your good works, his glory. So you've got the challenge. And you've got a pastor who's praying for you. And you've got people who are championing you. But it is over to you. This is your track, tra- given to you. But spend the time today. I'll promise you this. Something will try and pull you away from it. The culture has kind of an agenda on you. And you have an enemy whose agenda is to keep you off those tracks, to keep you thinking you can do it yourself. You'll have an enemy today that will give you really good reason why you can't find a whole half hour. Like, we binge watch Netflix over hours. We can find half an hour. Half an hour today, half an hour tomorrow, and then every day this week, Psalm 139, we draw silence, solitude, meditation. Doesn't that sound good? Sounds good to me. I want to go do it right now. 
So I'm going to pray for you and uh, bless you. And, uh, and I've got a couple of, uh, Nicole has given me a, a, few, uh, a few comments from some of you listening, which I will, uh, uh, which I will read out in a second. But let me, let me pray for you and pray that the spirit, spirit and the presence of God will just flood your life today. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so grateful for your word. That Jesus, that you set the example to us in how to live. And then you said, come follow me, do what I do. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us everything that we need as Christians to live a godly life, to be on track, to be salt, to be light. So, Lord, I pray now for everybody who's listening and everybody who's watching, whether it be this morning live or whether it be at some point in the future, Lord, I pray that time will be found as a priority today just to sit and listen in solitude and silence. And, Lord, I pray you would speak that, Lord, you would guide, and there'd be some beautiful moments happening all around the city because, Lord, we obediently take a step towards you. Holy Spirit, guide us in it. Fill us, we pray. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, you did everything on the cross. That, Lord, you took my sin, my punishment, and made it your own, and it died with you. I'm so grateful for that, Jesus. And, Lord, I pray that that light will shine into a hurting, broken, and dark world this week. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, a couple of things. G says, jolly good show, Drew. I'm going to give you the thumbs up. You got a thumbs up back, G. Thank you for that. Oh, uh, wow, this is all about Drew. Uh, Drew, secret admirer, says, love you, Drew. Hey, Drew. My voice cracked then. I was so excited. <laughs> he's he's kind of hunching lower. This is good. And then Shelley says, Drew, you can teach as well on this media stuff. Super. That's brilliant. Anyway, so Drew, you're a good man. And so does everybody else think as well. Have a wonderful week. God bless you. Remember next week, uh, we're going to continue into Matthew chapter 5. We miss you. We love you. Thank you for joining us this morning. And God bless you. And enjoy your presence and time with God this week. God bless.